Patrons only. <laughs> As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turfgrass industries. That's right, we're coming to you live, episode number 56. 56, Ray, can you believe it? Can you believe it we made that far at all? No, can I you? can't believe it. That is, that is incredible. And, uh, to think that we still have a following and that we haven't been canceled yet. That is the amazing. <laughs> yeah, we've skated a couple of times there, but uh <laughs> you know, uh want want to thank our audience that we're we're so fortunate to have that listen to us each week. Uh if you are listening on the tubes, thank you. If you're listening on your uh, favorite podcast platform, uh our illustrious and esteemed producer Jay Pink has went ahead and updated all that stuff, so Thank you for reaching out and uh, joining us, however you are. And tonight we're joined by a special guest host. And tonight, lo- what 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 are you munching on there? You got snacks? Opening bills yes. and checks. Opening bills I'm and working. checks. There he is. Lushy, <laughs> the Lush Factor, is here helping us out tonight. Matt, still out there doing uh, the Lord's work, fulfilling those orders and kicking butt in the factory. And you know what? I'm not going to blame him because uh, what, what did we what did we see here right before the show? I think I posted a tweet from uh, one of uh, Matt's favorite uh, motivational speakers, David Goggins, and I believe the quote from Goggins was, "Valiant motherfuckers always win," and Matt most assuredly is a valiant motherfucker. So we look forward to seeing him back here real soon. But until such time, we're going to have some guest hosts, some people that uh, he suggested and asked to come on here and sit in his seat, uh, and well. Offer their point of view because let's be honest, um, you know everybody's a little bit different. Matt is a little bit different, and uh, we like to have differences of opinion on this show. There's no doubt about it. That all being said, gentlemen, how are you this evening? I'm doing well. Lushy, how about yourself, Ray? Are you okay? I'm here. No, I was letting Ray go. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm doing fine. I mean. Kicking butt and taking names, of course. And uh, let's see, I put it in the Discord that somebody barely missed me telling them aloha yesterday. Oh, boy. What happened? They barely missed it. Uh, They had a question because I was gone for a week uh, in October. And I told them, hey, your lawn is still here. It's still green. It didn't get overgrown in that week. So what? Uh, And I told them what I can do is say, okay, this is over. Uh, You don't owe me anything, but you don't call me back. And I'm no longer in the state of Hawaii. What's it going to (laughs) be? 
Well, <laughs> Ray almost canceled someone wait. other than him getting canceled. <laughs> I really can't <laughs> wait for the time that Ray ends up actually moving to the States and all of the goodbye, like, and I'll never, ever see you again in my entire life. And I really think we should put a GoPro on Ray to have all those conversations. I'm sure <laughs> some will be heartfelt. I'm sure some of them will be like, you know, all right, whatever, man. I'll figure something out. I'll see you, man. And some of them will be uh, far less than amicable. I would have, I would have to say. So, uh, you know, I'm sure Ray will remain professional. I have no doubt about it. But uh, you know, sometimes the way that people react in certain situations, Ray not included. I'm talking about the people he'd be discussing this with. Well, they may cause you to uh, lose that professionalism for just a minute. You know. Go full Matt Martin, if you will. So, Ray, hopefully there'll be a uh, inventory liquidation of all your fertilizer before you go. And, uh, you know, maybe you can do a little, uh, you know, uh, two pounds of nitrogen and uh, let your uh, one of your St. Oglons grow up to four inches and just let her rip. You know, go ahead, just cowboy. Go full. There you go. <laughs> full Hane. Go full Hane on that. Full Hane. <laughs> Full, Place that thing with some biosolids and just leave. Oh God, bless you. That that would be the thing, huh? Time's that would be the over. thing. But then you know, but you know what? There are no biosolid type products in Hawaii. There are none. I think you could. I have a feeling you could make some. Well, Scott's next door probably have it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> you. Now that would be. Listen, that would be cra- crafted. Fertilizer, biosolids. Yes. Uh, yep. I'm not quite, here, quite there yet. But speaking of fertilizer, let's jump into these headlines. There's a lot of stuff about fertilizer here coming up. Nothing to fear here. This is just the news. All right, here we got a smattering of articles uh, kind of filling us in on what's going on with fertilizer here as we round the corner into the end of the uh, cool season, growing season, and getting into some of the blackout territory for some of our more uh, less-than-friendly fertilizer states, Florida, Maryland, and up through that way. Uh, here we've got from DTN, retail fertilizer prices continue their lower trend as five of the eight major products are cheaper compared to last month, according to locations tracked by DTN for the fourth week of October 2022. So, you know, looking here, some pricing... Looking at uh, last year versus this year, overall, right, average urea price is about $0.90 a pound. That's down just slightly, and uh, we've got some data here. Jay Pink, if you slide down in the uh, article here, we've got a nice little table that is uh, in no way, shape, or form formatted other than to say urea last year at this time uh, was about $751 a ton. Uh, As of a year later here in 2022, we're sitting at about $827, right? Map a little bit up, uh, probably about 110 or 113 dollars. So again, seeing uh, you know stuff that really really shot up as we went through the spring growing season and everything like that, uh, kind of come back down to earth a little bit from those highs earlier in the year. Now, if we slide over here to that next article, Jay Ping, uh, fertilizer maker CF CF Industry still bullish as the price rally takes a breather. Uh, that's a very nice way of saying that stuff is going back down, right? So. Uh, you know, they show the chart here from uh, U.S. Green Index and talking about potash here in particular. Uh, and what they're saying here is that uh, CF Industries covered from early slide posted disappointing quarterly earnings driven by farmers' reluctance to purchase high-priced fertilizer. 
difference, the outlook for nitrogen demand is better than potash and other crop nutrients. So again, they're talking about here. Uh, you know, nutrient fell about fourteen percent uh, in the Toronto market, and um, you know, fell as much as seven and a half percent over in the New York Stock Exchange. What they're talking about here, fellas, is uh, you know, prices got to a point right that farmers were just basically saying, "Nope, we're tapping out. We don't need it that bad." And you know, so some of that demand here domestically went down, and they're feeling it, right? They're feeling that right now. Uh, in terms of you know slack in the supply chain and in their uh, inventory, so I guess my question to you in the lawn care market, you know, did we see some of those same things? Perhaps I mean, from your own point of view, your own vantage point, and whether it was uh, individually or from folks that you deal with, you know, the vendor side or know personally in the uh, applicator space, whether it's locally or somewhere else, do you think some of that happened this year where people are like, yeah, I could probably go with a little less or without entirely or whatever? I think so. I think some guys kind of skimped out on uh, maybe saying, you know, the same thing the farmers were saying. It, it was, it's getting expensive. What can we use? Maybe let's use something a little less. Uh, let's save, you know, it's it's a numbers game. Let's save $2 a bag because everything went up $6 a bag or more. Uh, so I think I, there was some guys out there that I know personally that kind of maybe changed their program a little bit and uh, tried to see if they could get through with what they needed. You know, kind of on the bare minimum side. <clears throat> Ray, what do you think? You know, I kind of saw the same thing. and But actually, here's where I saw the biggest difference was sod growers. Because mm. those guys that I'm familiar with are normally in the mode of pushing, pushing, pushing because they need every acre of land in production to turn over because, by golly, they need that uh, $5 a square foot you know, return on their investment, and they need it badly. But then what kind of squeezed them is what a bag of, say, 111 costs them or what a bag of nitrogen costs them. So they were kind of like caught in there. And I remember having conversations with some guys regarding what can they do to maximize, you know, their fertilizer investment because the old paradigm of throwing down over a pound of N per month, every month until the sod gets harvested, uh, wouldn't work anymore. Because it would just become cost prohibitive for them. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is is locking in those prices and then baking those prices in, right to you know products, applications, whatever it is that's getting done. I think that's the, that's the trouble that people are having. I mean, here, uh, in a lot of folks that are you know sort of just playing the shell game where you know a a customer is paying for you know five five rounds, six rounds, whatever it might be. But, you know, the products that are going out during those rounds have been, uh, in some cases, eliminated entirely, right? Like, it's just more of a, you know, where there might have been fertilizer going out. It's just simply, you know, uh, a spot treatment of broadleaf weeds or something like that. And uh, nobody's really questioned it from what I've seen. I I haven't heard of any uh, pushback necessarily. But I think that, you know, those pressures are going to be there. And, you know, how we we correct these prices, right, uh, in terms of, 
what the end user is paying and what we're able to provide from a product standpoint in the lawn care space especially uh, th that's going to get cranked up again here yet this year so hopefully folks are sitting on uh, you know some money that they can maybe invest into buying some product early right put some of those things on your shelf if you can get good terms with your vendors but uh, buy low and sell high kind of thing so we'll see what happens but on over to Utah sunny Utah well it might not be so sunny they're looking for some snow here so uh, you know, really what we're tracking here is a drought. Uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, some of the watering bans and some of the other things that are taking place specifically in Utah. And uh, met a good friend from Zach out there, taped the Thirsty Thursday episode with him uh, when we were in Louisville. And Zach is a Utah resident, a longtime listener, and a big supporter of the show. And got to learn a little bit more about the challenges they are facing out there. But, you know, the question here in the article is, will the drought end soon? way too, too early to get hopeful. There's no way to know what's going to happen, if this is going to happen or not. Uh, Clayton took also objection to the overall characterization that Utah and other parts of the West have been in a prolonged drought for 22 years. I don't see it necessarily that way. I see 2017 and 2011, which were really outstanding snowpack years. There's been some awful years in between. I mean, there's been some average years like 2019. It's a flip of the coin. So what they're saying here, gentlemen, is that, uh, you know, that there's some areas in particular uh, in Utah and some of those basins there that are facing, uh, you know, sort of dire need, but there's others that are okay. So, yeah, you know, the idea that the entire region necessarily is in drought, and if you look at the modeling here, some of which they have in the article, and if you go out a little bit further and look at some of the links they have in there, pretty interesting to see of just how, um, you know, localized some of these drought areas are, uh, in particular out there in the West and in Utah most more specifically. So. Again, something that we're you know we're faced with every year, especially out west, you know, uh, with with the water pressures out there. Uh, I know here in the Midwest, we're you know not anywhere close to a drought. We've got some areas that are a little bit under uh, in precipitation, but looking to have a wetter, uh, wetter winter here. I wonder, folks, though, uh, you know, from a from a standpoint of you know wishing and hoping, waiting this, you know, not, not so much the the climate change things, but what will be the impact to uh, lawn care operators, right, as these issues become more prevalent, right? So, for instance, right, you're treating lawns out there in Utah, and they say, hey, guess what? It's June. We're out of water. We had a terrible winter. We have a terrible snowpack. There's no, no, there's no melt going on, and we're screwed. So come, you know, May, June, we're shutting the water off for the entire summer. How would you guys go about that if those were your lawns to treat and you knew that it was already a bad situation and going to get worse? Rush, you kind of went through this this year, so I'm curious. That's why I'm asking. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much exactly what we went through. Um, and it was uh, a lot of holding your breath and uh, praying that it was going to come back, uh, but that doesn't do anything. Uh, we did on our fungicide programs, we were putting out a granular moisture manager product to try to help mitigate a little bit of that. Um, we were going out uh elongating our spans between our applications because there was no water, maybe just doing some light spot spraying, like you were saying in the, on the last thing, um, just because there was nothing you could do. I mean, there, there was a point we hit some properties uh, where they had no water and it was, okay, we're just going to treat the weeds. And then it became a, a repair. Uh, we were very lucky in the, the fall. Uh, I think within three weeks, it got like 12 inches of rain uh, and, it, and it, everything really bounced back pretty heartily. <laughs> Um, 
I would like to say it was because in the end of August, we kind of went out and put down a big load of fertilizer to uh, have it ready for when it did wake up um, and try to give it some energy to uh, reboot, I guess. It, it was, uh, it's not something I'd want to live through every, every summer. Uh, that would be a very challenging uh, type of business. Ray, I know that's you, you know, know precipitation is never an issue in a long term scale there, but what what do you think? What I think is that uh, I'm kind of watching my weather right now because I've noticed a little shift uh, in our weather patterns here. In that, uh, first thing I notice is that our Fall and winter has become warm and dry again, whereas in the 10 years prior to this, it was cold and wet. So I've been telling everybody, be prepared for things to dry out. And yeah, I do have a contingency plan for when things dry out. I have a contingency plan for when the water department says no more irrigation. Because, you know what, Ryan and Plushy, uh, I am not ashamed to paint lawns. Okay. Me neither. I won't. I won't be. Ash- I won't be ashamed to do it. And if it means that, rather than me having a lawn limp through, look half-assed, look ready, my preference would actually be to put that grass out of its misery and paint it until the drought is over. I mean, that's, how fa- that's what I would actually do. Because well, I what, I, what, that... I know about dr- what I know about yeah. drought in Hawaii is that our droughts become decadal. It's not like we get a reprieve in a couple of months. Our, when we go into drought, our droughts become decadal. So hmm. well, and <laughs> it's I a little bit different. Part of it, part of it too, is the fact that you know in in Utah, I think they're more hyper aware of it. I think you know with Lushy, with what you got into, they probably maybe pushed the envelope a little bit further than what they might be used mm-hmm. to. And same thing in other parts of the country that aren't so hyper aware of these water issues. So yeah, I think that that uh, Lushy, there's probably a whole. A uh, bunch of content that you should uh, either make or do with us or something because I think that whole uh, drought survival plan for a lawn care operator is an important thing because you got to keep money coming and you got to keep the doors open but at the same time you have to also educate people that hey we're we're not in a in a good spot right now we've got to make sure that uh, we're moving forward here you know uh, because at some point this will break you know this too shall pass and right. we've got to be ready to go as soon as it's ready so. All right, uh, let's see here. Our our final headline here is absolutely awful. Uh, Six-year-old recovering after losing both feet in a mower accident in Harrison oh, City, Pennsylvania. Oh, Six-year-old oh. Leon Lavelle is now home with his parents after spending three months in the hospital. This follows a horrific accident July 30th as he rode with his father. Family zero turn. Liam lost both feet after the blades were activated accidentally as he attempted to get off the machine. Both were amputated. Uh, you know, it goes on to say about, you know, how he's been resilient through the entire process. Uh, they, they had over a hundred thousand dollars get donated through a GoFundMe. 
to help him out, and over $160,000 is now uh, in a special needs trust so that he can have access to therapies and additional surgeries, things like that. But, guys, I know we talk about these terrible things that happen, and, it, and, and we don't do it uh, lightly. Uh, you know, we, we joke around on the show a lot and everything like that, but the, the stuff that we do, the machines we use, the tools, the products, everything like that, the, the dangers of them cannot be overstated. And I think if you do this long enough, you learn how to respect them, right? And I don't, I, I'm sure this was an accident. I'm sure, you know, there's, there's times where somebody should know better, right? Um, as a professional, there's other times where somebody should know better just as an adult with common sense. I'm not here to chastise this because the kid's parents. I just hope that we all can see. And if you, if you see a buddy or you see a friend or a family member or something doing that, just stop them and say, hey, listen, I do this for a living, and I'm telling you that while it might be fun, enjoyable, memorable, whatever for that kid, it ain't worth it. Don't, right? And mm-hmm. I don't know. We need that. We need some of that green duck bedside manner. Ray, let's role play this, right? <laughs> I throw my kid up on the zero return. Yeah. What are you going to say to me? You know, I'd say this might seem funny to you, but all it takes is one second and. Your boy's feet is gone. And I've even heard of that happening to myself with a family friend of ours where their... Time's up. It's over. Their grandson got on the wrong side of a riding mower and chopped his foot off. It does happen. And I'm just saying that because all it takes is a second, a, a good rule is, you know what I think should be prominently displayed on all of these riding moors? No riders. There should be a big sign that says no riders. And that includes, you know, even your kids. I mean, I don't want to see a kid on somebody's lap on a riding mower because I know that I was never allowed to do that as a kid. It was either I'm old enough to drive that riding more, but I ain't sitting on somebody's lap just because of what can happen. There you go. Uh, again, yeah. it's, it's, so, it's so important, and I, 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 we, we do this not to be, again, foul or anything like that. I feel terrible for this kid. Uh, we'll be rooting for him. We'll do everything we can, you know, if there's ever an opportunity to help. But, you know, in cases like this, just have some have some common sense, please, please, please. All right. With that, let's jump over here, and we're going to talk about our sponsor tonight, which is our patron. Uh, if, you, if you are here and you're listening as we tape the show live on Sunday night, we do this uh, just about every Sunday night. 56 to the last, oh, uh, you know, 60-some. Uh, we don't miss very often. Um, but. That all being said, I uh, can't do it without you. We have, we, we've had uh, incredible support, and for the low, low price of less than a gallon of gas and far less than a gallon of diesel right now, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you too can be a part of this. Uh, we also have our, uh, our, our, our power hours that occur here just about uh, well, once, twice a month. We've got a Discord that uh, folks are able to come on, ask questions, all of our participants, not just us, but also uh, a whole bunch of smart people that have congregated and want to continue to get better, both in the DIY space and the professional lawn care space. So, and 
if you don't know, and I'm sure you may have heard about it, uh, we've got two special guests here that were in Louisville. Gentlemen, while I've got you both here on the show, Lushy, why don't you go first and toss over to Ray, but tell us about uh, why going to Louisville is so important, what you get out of it, and uh, why people should come to next year in Louisville, which is going to be, I don't know, can we tease it yet, Jay Pink, where it's going to be? Is that too soon? Uh, too soon. Uh, too soon. soon. All right. Yeah. Let me, it's going to be let bigger and better more, than ever. Yeah. Let me hammer out some more details. Right. Patrons will get to hear about it first for sure. So, yeah, and and really, I think the thing that uh, before I, I turn, you know, Leshy and Ray loose, the thing that we got in most of the comments, and I think the overarching comment that uh, that JPEG took to heart and is really working on for next year is the one that said more nipples, less pasty. So he's really going to take that to heart and see what he can do with it. But <laughs> Leshy Ray, what did you get out of? What did people get out of it? Why should they come next year? I think it was just a, a great sense of community that, you know, we're all hanging out here, you know, whether it be once, twice a week, or you're listening, uh, to, you know, on your drive to work, uh, following up the next day. But there's also, if you're in the Discord, you are communicating with these people. And then to be able to have that great interaction that is face-to-face, you know, with with human people, uh, going out, the adventures, whether it's going to Spinelli's or, uh, you know, commandeering an uber and uh going to get something to eat or going to get a drink you know it's it is just a great time uh and there's a lot of memories um and just stuff that you can't get and then you can also go to the equipment expo you can actually go and uh ride one person at a time uh on on any of the equipment that you want um uh, you can check out the latest and greatest that's out there the autonomous uh wave and battery wave as DeWalt showed us the fiery new beginnings. Uh, it's, it's an amazing uh, trip. And actually I think for Shane and I, we didn't go long enough. And I think next year we're going to probably come in, maybe try to get in a little earlier and stay uh, another day, probably to finish the show on Friday to see a little more. You know, being at that, you know, event, it's kind of like a big family reunion. I mean, I can't uh, describe it any other way except at this uh, family reunion, everybody acts like adults pretty much, and there's no fighting, and we all just love each other. I mean, that is is the best part of it because uh, we always joke about having to Bail somebody out of jail or, or worse. And you know what? Two years in a row, none of that happened, okay? I mean, this just <laughs> speaks to how good a group we are. I mean, we're just great. I mean, of course, it may be a little intimidating when there's 30 or so of us and we roll into a restaurant and we start commandeering <laughs> tables. That may be a little bit intimidating. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, however. Look like the however, bus full of senior citizens. Yeah. Yeah. However, you know, none We're good tippers, so don't be afraid. Yeah, we're good tippers. True. And for goodness sake, we don't order the cheapest stuff on the, on the menu. And uh, if we do uh, happen to commandeer a bar, Note to any bar owners out there listening, uh, 
we're not exactly bottom shelf drinkers either. I can attest to that. <laughs> not exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, so, bar owner's dream to have us in there. So, again, check us out, www.patreon.com forward slash burn and return. A great group of people. Uh, well over 100 people in there and more from our YouTube channel as well. So dive in. Come join us in the Discord and find out all the ways that you, too, can uh, have more fun with us. And with that, gentlemen, it's now time for Joe Knows Turf. <laughs> Joe Knows Turf! Hi, I'm Joe. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Joe knows turf. <laughs> now, as we get started with this, uh, I, I want to say this is that uh, as we've been doing this segment here, I, I don't know for a few months or whatever, uh, the the feedback that we received, I want to share this and be transparent with the group. Uh, is somewhere in the neighborhood of about 90% to 10%. The 10% is you guys are attacking people, you're, you know, you're not putting out good content, and they, you know, they are, and you're just attacking them for it. And, hey, I get how you might be offended. If you are, sorry, I'm not sorry. The other 90%, though, uh, are people that send in videos, links, uh, Facebook posts, things of that nature, and are like, basically... What the hell is this? Can you try to make some fucking sense to this? Because it doesn't make any sense to me. So uh, th- this comes from that uh, that ninety percent. And uh, let's go ahead and, and watch this video, this segment here. Uh, it's a short from Jeremy at the Reader Lawn. Things we need to do is focus on the soil's health by giving it things that promote the organisms inside of it. The earthworms, the microfauna, we need to promote them to do their job better. How we do that is we give the soil organic matter, humic acid, compost, stuff of that nature, and it will help amend that soil and make it a lot better. So when we do have our regular soils, they do go hydrophobic a little bit more just because they don't have the amended properties. They're kind of stripped of nutrients or the nutrients are all locked up. As we amend them, they really start to perform a lot better and they won't go hydrophobic and cause these places that what? are What? It's not because <laughs> it's the natural soil versus the topsoil. You can amend it and it doesn't get hydrophobic as easily. <laughs> Any soil can technically go hydrophobic and repel water and have dry spots, and there are simple fixes for that. To fix poor soil issues. Okay. So the, the question here is, can you fix poor soil issues? And, you know, uh, where to start here? So uh, let's start here with the, you know, uh, soil becomes hydrophobic, right? And that's our first sign that we have poor soil. Now, I'm not so sure that that would be my first telltale sign that we've got poor soil. That could mean a a number of different things, right? Now, organic material and soil conditioning, soil amendments, things like that, those can certainly help in some cases, right, Ray? But uh, if we're looking at a, quote-unquote, poor soil, how are we diagnosing that? Because I didn't hear any definition per se, or a method of determining how good and or bad our soil might be. So did you catch any of that in there? No, I didn't catch any of it. You see, 
all I caught was blah, 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 organic matter, microorganisms, uh, all of this nebulous and, sub, you know, purely subjective uh, metric where I didn't hear a word about NPK, salt levels, or pH. Because, Ryan, those mm-hmm. are the measures by which I judge whether a soil is poor or not. NPK, micronutrient levels, pH, and salt levels. That's, those are my metrics. I mean, and those metrics are not so subjective. They're quantifiable. They're pretty objective. And they're standardized tests for all of those uh, measures. And I think that's one of the issues. So, Leshy, I know you deal with a lot of this, right? When you, mm-hmm. especially some of the new homes and things like that, you've sent me pictures of "quote unquote" topsoil out there. <laughs> no. uh, well, the, or the 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 subsoil. How about the uh, the beach stone subsoil one? I said oh, yeah, yeah. a few years back. I'm, I, I remember was, that mm-hmm. one. That was, so that was my question to you specifically. I'm thinking about that picture, and I wish I had it. And we could share it, but imagine, folks. Uh, Soil that's gosh, thirty, forty percent rocks. Like not just like little rocks, but like rocks, and that's what let's just have a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that one that was bad. Like yeah, they 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 use tailings. Yeah, baseballs. They were they were the tailings from uh, screening loom, and they used that to level the grade. Then they took the loom they screened, uh, screened, and then went over the top, probably about yeah, four or five inches. So you know that settles down to a good four, you know, four inches, and not a tree in sight. You know, anything that they planted was, you know, eight feet tall. So it's not provided. There's not a lick of shade, full sun, and uh, those this summer those things cooked up because the that heat in that ground just really resonated. And then there's no really no fixing it without really excavating it, uh, and and so wait, really fixing wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. What? But it's bad soil. And if we put, I just put some baby shampoo and some uh, hum- and leaves and or, and 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 humic acid, and you're saying that that's not going to get the job done? Nah, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. I don't so, even think the uh, wait, root bulldo- cycling effect. Bulldozer time. <laughs> bulldozer time. Some, some, yep. <laughs> sometimes you're going to pull the bulldozer out. <laughs> yeah. so what you're trying to tell me is is that there might be more nuance to this whole grass and soil thing. Then maybe I was originally led to believe. Yes, I, there's not mm-hmm. every product in the bottle will fix all your woes. Well, and so, it, and and that gets me back to this: is that, um, you know, I think that folks will take a look at this and say, "Well, he told you what to do, right? He gave you some suggestions, and I, hey, no problem, no harm, no foul. Those those are good suggestions in certain cases, but I should, you know, we should understand." why we need to do it in the first place and what we should see and how we should measure success, right? Not just, is it a high hydrophobicity issue, right? Where water is being repelled, you know, down in the soil or at the surface. And there's certainly other things that we could apply, right? That would, would help out with that. Uh, so in this case here, Ray, you know, if we have mm-hmm. bad soil, right, we've got verifiable soils, but for somebody at home, right. That wants to check this out for themselves and understand, Hey, what do I have to do to understand if I've got bad soil? 
what would be the uh, the couple, the two or three tangible steps that you would take, you know, both from a scientific perspective and just a common sense perspective to check that out and verify. Okay, here's the uh, one where you send your soil off to a reputable lab, you know, analyze it, see where your nutrient levels are, where your pH is, are there excessive salts in the soil? That's part one. Part two would be go into your ground, you know, lift out a shovel full, see what you hit. I mean, are you hitting rocks? Are you digging up uh, the equivalent of what I call road base? Because, you know, Leshy, that whole situation of, you know, a lot of that rock, you know, in a layer, that sounds to me like road base, you know? That's what they yeah. use as road base. Yep. So, you know, look for that. I mean, and if, in fact, all you have is a loamy or semi-loamy soil that happens to just be maybe pH is off, nutrient levels are off, I got to tell you that that is mostly fixable with intelligent amendment and fertilization. But here's the caveat. Adding a whole bunch of organic matter to that is not going to help you. In fact, that might complicate the problem for you. I mean, I generally stick to dealing with measurable, quantifiable, scalable, and controllable inputs such as NPK and pH. You know, that's where I'd go. I wouldn't mess around with saying, oh, Let's put in a lot of leaf mold and compost and humic and biostimulants and yada, yada, yada. No, I mean, let's uh, stick with things that we have measures for and we can quantify the performance of. Because, you know, if you add organic matter, what kind of test is out there that can tell me what that organic matter is actually doing to the grass. You know, what, what kind of test is out there? Whereas if I draw a pH test on a soil, I know what effect a pH 5 is going to have versus pH 7.5, right? I know what effect both of those numbers have. Whereas with organic matter, there's a number, but then that number doesn't necessarily equate to anything. So, you know, let's kind of stick to things that we can measure, things that we can have some measure of predictability to because, oh, you know when you folks talk about hydrophobic soils, in my experience, mm -hmm. the soils that tend to become hydrophobic I notice they have excessive organic matter in them. Well, and I think the quality, all that stuff, it, it just, there's a lot of, it depends when it comes to this, right? It depends. And I, but uh, then, and I 100%. guess, well, all I was going to say is this, is that, you know, um, just be wary on, on where your advice comes from. And I'm not dissing, you know, Jeremy as a person, I think that, uh, you know, he, he's got a channel that puts out content. And, you know, for 
lack of a better term, when it comes to this stuff, you know, really. Time's up. It's over. Stick to the YouTube. Stay off the lawn coaching, Jeremy. How about that? Have a great night. All right. With that, <laughs> let's go ahead and move on to Sheila screaming on those birds, baby. Well, this week, gentlemen, oh, those Burns and Sheila, she, well, she's got a, a couple of things to get excited about here this week. First up here, uh, Hurricane West Virginia. Uh, we've got uh, a mower that has been stolen from the West Tays Valley Elementary. It was hundreds of kids to play soccer each week, and uh, we've got about uh, two or 300 people a week that go through uh, the, the little park there that they take care of, but somebody has, gosh darn, taken their Husqvarna zero-turn mower. Stolen it right out from under them. So, you know, listen, uh, somebody knew this mower was there. Uh, somebody knew that kids played there. And yet, Ray, Lushy, some probably drug-addicted POS decided, you know what? I need to get high more than those kids need a safe field to play on. So guess what? I'm taking their fucking mower, and I'm going to go home. You know? What kind of sick, twisted individual, you know? Uh, seriously, what is going it, on? It's got to be drugs, right? Am I, am, and I'm not, listen, drug addiction is a mental illness. I'm not here to bash that. I'm just here to say I wish you wouldn't pick on the fucking kids, you know? It's Chuck, about the Chuck fucking Chuck in a truck needed here. an upgrade. But the it also be you know that what? the twenty dollar long guy was feeling those inflationary pressures. Now he's the eighteen dollar <laughs> long guy because I just got some free shit, yo. <laughs> but seriously, you know what? Mess is one hell of a drug. I mean, it makes people do stuff that they otherwise normally wouldn't do. But my goodness, to take a mower. From, you know, a sports ground. That is probably as low as you can go, I think. I mean, that, that's pretty low. So, but here's what I also say about this. To me, a lot of these things are almost inside jobs where oh, somebody, somebody knew knows that was there. Knows oh, it was inside, a yeah. Mower, a mower and... Oh, wait, 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 no... wait. All right, I'm going to play Matt Martin for a second here. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on here, boys. <laughs> Are you ready for this one? Yeah. All right. Foil. No, I don't, but what if, okay? This is like some Netflix special shit right here. What if the dude that's interviewed on here actually like push this thing into a, like a fucking coal mine somewhere down there so they get a GoFundMe and get a new better mower. Could be. Could be. I don't know. Time I'm not accusing enough. anybody. I'm just saying if you if this is true crime, this is how the true crime message boards go this year. Yeah. We should put that's this on a, a true crime a, Reddit that's subreddit that's somewhere remote, and see what happens. That's a remote possibility. Uh, it may. Yeah. They did. They did get an upgrade from a forty-eight to a fifty-four-inch mower, and also a weed eater. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. That's what I'm saying. That's what like weed eater is. The I'm quoting what... them saying weed eater. 
Mm-hmm. Do you not believe, do you not agree with the pronunciation of weed eater? Is do you use different vernacular for I just, string I just, or <laughs> weed eater, weed whip? Don't 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 weed whip me. string. Yeah, whipper snipper <laughs> is my favorite though. That's Ben Sims. Whipper snipper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben's yeah. I went Australia. Pat, uh, yeah. Whipper snipper. Yeah. Past the yeah, an ice cream place called the Whippy now, was, Dip the other day. Somebody just looked at this as just also, uh, you know, this is a municipality's uh, property, so you know it's not hurting the kids. They'll 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 buy it, and I, I don't know. It's I, I've seen too much of this over the years working with you know the city stuff gets stolen. Uh, they you know they they break in. They mm-hmm. young stupid kids would come in. We had uh, was the announcing booth. Kids broke in and started a fire in it. You know they had to they had to fix that. I mean, I just I've seen so much of it. It's it's brutal, and it's a lot of times it is. It's dumb kids, you know, just not really thinking and just acting because they can. Um, but I think stealing a, a mower is a little more than a than a kid. That's definitely somebody that was like, oh, I can uh, either sell this or I'm going to go make some money with it. One or the other. Mm-hmm. Well. Either yep. way, shitbag move, terrible thing. A total. And, yeah. So, moving on to another terrible move. Portland, Maine. Dateline, Portland, Maine. Uh, Portland has issued its first fine for violating the city's pesticide use ordinance, which bans the use of synthetic pesticides with limited exceptions. Seabreeze Property Services was issued the maximum $500 fine last week for applying glyphosate, an ingredient found in Roundup and other herbicides, to control Japanese knotweed at a property managed by Avesta Housing at 605 Stevens Avenue in August. Portland City Council approved the ordinance back in January 2018, and advocates at that time called it one of the strongest anti-pesticide ordinances in the country. All right, so uh, let's see here. Troy Moon, the city's sustainability director, said most landscaping companies seem to have been trying to follow the ordinance that took effect back in July of 2019, but it's also been hard to enforce. We can't go on people's property. We have to respond if residents or others raise a concern. Even then, it can be difficult unless we have documentation. In the case of Stevens Avenue, Moon said a resident who reported the case got documentation of the chemicals use from their landlord, and Seabreeze also admitted to using it. Seabreeze did not respond to phone messages asking about the violation left at its office Friday or Monday. The resident who made the complaint declined to provide her name for the publication because she's wor- worried that speaking out would impact her housing, but said that she and her neighbors the apartment complex, which is known as Mother House, have garden boxes near where the spraying took place. She said those gardens were contaminated, and she lost close to $300 oh. in organic soil and plants. It was devastating <laughs> to a lot of us, she said. We worked hard. It was a pastime for us to be able to go out and work in our gardens. I'm still not over it. Avesta, a nonprofit affordable housing provider, said in a statement Monday that it respects the city's decision and regrets any negative effects that the treatments for invasive plant species at Mother House has caused residents. We contracted with Seabreeze Property Services to provide landscaping services at Mother House and relied on Seabreeze's expertise and advice for concerning treatment of invasive species on the property. And in regards to the following any city regulations, the statement said. City Council recently added more restrictions to the ordinance, including a prohibition of synthetic fertilizers in most places, requirements for property owners to follow best manager practices when using organic fertilizers. These updates take place or are scheduled to take effect March 19th, 2023. Gentlemen, there you have it. Uh, You know, 
caught with her pants down. I mean, certainly they didn't try to hide it, so you got to give them credit for that. But, uh, boy. Wait till, wait till, that, ja- wait till that Japanese knotweed gets into her $300 organic soil. It's going to take off. Yeah. Yep. Well, yeah. she, I mean, you, you happen to know something about Japanese knotweed, don't you? Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, that... we made a little mix and it, it worked quite well <laughs> on it, but that stuff is super invasive. I see it, it blow up so... through asphalt. It is. Oh, man. So here's so, my question. Those, you know what? Is if you're in a situation like that, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I know there are some mechanisms for emergency use and things like that, but, you know, to what end and what kind of documentation, how far gone does it have to be? And can you make a case for, hey, it's, you know, in a couple spots in the cracks of the driveway, let's get it now, as opposed to letting it turn into a raging forest fire and then trying to put it all out, right? Like, I, I'll be anxious to see because certainly this isn't the only issue, right? And I'll guarantee you that other people are applying pesticides on properties in the city of Portland. I'm not advocating to break the law. What I am saying, though, is that hopefully there is a mechanism there, and I'm, I'm anxious to kind of research this and understand how it works. If I do see that, you know, what would you do? So on your parts, you know, it, if this is your business, right, and your client, uh, how far do you go in trying to help them work with the city, all that kind of thing, or do you just say, hey, if you need me to spray it, I'll spray it, but if not, with the, with that kind of ordinance, I mean, you're down to instead of maybe having a, a, a application that's a few hundred dollars to an application that is going to be thousands of dollars because you're going to have to try to mechanically remove it by hand by mm-hmm. pulling it out and using an excavator and trying to get rid of it, and disposing of it. You're talking thousands of dollars, and you're not going to get it all. It's it's going to you know be what? back. Okay, I've heard of what happens. In the now woke United Kingdom, where not weed is a problem. Oh, it's because very, very aggressive. Herbicides are largely prohibited in the UK, especially in residential areas. Uh, essentially, if somebody has Japanese knotweed, it literally is time to call in the bulldozer. And, you know, I got to ask, what is the environmental impact of a few ounces of herbicides versus having to bulldoze an entire fucking property over a weed? What is the environmental (laughs) impact? I mean, I don't think people are really thinking through what they're dictating. I really don't think so. I think all they think about is... I was going to say, they yeah, want to excavate are bad. four feet. Pesticides are bad, but if you have Japanese knotweed, they make you excavate four feet down yeah. and then haul it to mm-hmm. a toxic waste dump. It cannot mm-hmm. go to the regular landfill. It has to go to a specific landfill that they make, they take care of the Japanese knotweed. It is a massive yep. undertaking and is extremely expensive. Because, yeah, no, like you no, said, a few it... ounces of herbicide could probably help take care of the problem and be a lot cheaper. Yeah, and, and, and a lot less disruptive and environmentally harmful in the end because my question is, is that, okay, 
how what do the bulldozers run on? <laughs> what do the dump trucks run on? I know damned well what those things run on. And you know when non-chemical control of invasives is dictated, no one ever accounts for that. All they know is that herbicides are bad and they just shut off and put blinders on when the subject of, okay, look at all of the fossil fuels and energy expended needed to dig stuff up and haul it away. That is never thought of, where on the other hand, Lushy, do you know why that is forefront in my mind? Because just the other day, I had to uh, fill up my service truck, right? Uh, Fuel pumps shut off here at $175, right? And that $175 barely got me 29 gallons of diesel. (laughs) Yeah, so you're going to tell me that, okay, we don't want to use any herbicides because herbicides are bad, but instead, we're going to have people have to bulldoze and haul away invasive species. And you know what? Portland, Maine is going to be in for a taste of what's already happened in Hawaii. And you know what that is? We're covered wall to wall with invasive species, and there's no way to control it. There you go. Now, and and so, I think that's the the, the rub of this whole thing is that uh, as this type of legislation continues to push and roll out further and further across the country, and you know, it it seems like it's far away from you, probably because it's you know confined to the corners and the coasts of the country. But I'm telling you, it's coming. So you need to have uh, the uh, the proper knowledge base, right, and experience of how to deal with this, and not just get emotional, right. And these are mm-hmm. really, really critical people. So, speaking of emotional, over in California, wow. You want to talk about one coast and another and both of them being completely <laughs> fucked up. That's my uh, editorial, by the way. That's not in the article. Uh, <laughs> let's see here. So, innovative advanced recycling processes that enable the reuse of products such as artificial turf are taking off around the country, except in California, where new plastics law prevents greater adoption. So they talk about how, you know, uh, you know, artificial and synthetic turf is being used more widely in California, not just on sports fields like we might know and think about the primary use case for artificial turf, but uh, in a lot of landscapes. And, uh, Ray, we've talked about this at nauseum uh, on the show here about how, you know, the, the, the dangers, right, of having uh, synthetic turf and artificial turf lawns, right, or replacement for lawns. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just a uh, a nightmare scenario for a lot of reasons. But the interesting part here is that, uh, you know, they, they talk a little bit about the recycling efforts. They're trying to recycle 50 end-of-life artificial turf fields at high schools and college campuses in California uh, this year. So uh, that's all well and good, but there's well over 1,000. They're only going to capture a certain percentage of those, so I'll be interested to see how that all goes. But the, the big one here is this. Unfortunately, rather than expand the technology in California, a sweeping new law 
in the state on plastics and recycling industry uh, includes provisions that discourage advanced recycling by limiting which technologies can count towards so-called circularity goals. Senate Bill 54, an example of how short-term thinking can halt investments that are good for consumers, good for jobs, and good for our environment. This is a little bit of a trade publication. But gentlemen, imagine a world, right, where we have this behemoth of uh, really, truly, it would be hard to say, and I'm sure certain folks will say pesticides and this, that, and the other thing, but uh, there's not as much, right, in terms of uh, what we see there comparatively with synthetic turf. And with synthetic turf, we have, you know, acres and acres and acres of stuff going to, a, you know, a landfill every year. Now they're trying to recycle it, right, and put it all, you know, back into some type of usable form, whether it be for the actual turf, the fibers, the backing, some other component, right, that they can use it for. However, in the state where they're pushing it the most as a means to an end, right, there's also a state law that prevents them from recycling this shit. What kind of fucking <laughs> clown world bullshit is this? Is any? I mean, is this Cali, not, baby? Is this is this not the peak of unintended consequences? That somebody falls so much in love with their idea for whatever law or piece of legislation that it is that they give fuck all or don't even think about what else it might impact within society. And oh, by the way, hey, we've got these two issues that are inextricably linked, not because somebody else in industry said so, but because you've got groups, whether they be outside groups, state groups, and or intra-government groups that are pushing this as a solution to the water challenges that your state faces. Hey, all right, maybe, but there's also other, you know, other issues that that presents that you're probably burying your head in the sand and forgetting about. And oh, by the way, you're generating a metric fuck ton of waste every single year that now you have no means with order to deal with this in a recycled format. You have to send it somewhere else on a truck that's probably fueled by fucking diesel fuel to get rid of it and recycle the shit. What the fuck are we doing here? And I'm sorry to get so goddamn vulgar, but it just pisses me off when I see shit like this. I'm sorry. I had to, you know be a ma- I had to, I had to go full Matt Martin for a second because fuck, that's infuriating to think about. No, no, this is like ultra stupidity because, again, uh, people are up in arms about a few ounces of herbicides, uh, a few pounds of fertilizer. But you know when I see synthetic turf, you know what I'm thinking about, Ryan? When What's that? that synthetic turf is worn out, we now have several tons of hazardous waste and nowhere for to put that shit. Okay, we got nowhere to put it. And likewise here in Hawaii, you know when one of these athletic fields or whatever is at its end of its life, uh Ryan, we have nowhere to put that. You know? I I can't think of a good place to put the several tons of now virtually toxic waste that's going to come off of the football field and not be less environmentally impactful versus maintaining a natural grass athletic field. Okay. Agreed. I mean, Don't forget because Go ahead. this is also from a state that is uh, forcing it, our industry to go to battery powered everything. 
and then are telling them, don't plug in your battery-powered items because we don't have the electricity in which to charge all of these. <laughs> that includes your, your you Tesla. Know, so That includes your Tesla, yeah. And, and oh, oh, by the way, uh, under the wrong circumstances, lithium becomes extremely flammable, and it's impossible to put that stuff out. I forgot. Well, you, just smother, you, just smother with a, you smother it with a field. Let me let me create, oh, you know the uh, the scenario. What if you are mowing in the colder months in California, which grass still grows there in the winter time, and you're fortunate mm-hmm. enough to have a uh, a Dewalt, uh, you know, zero turn mower? I mean, worst case scenario, <laughs> you can either mow the grass or you can stay warm when that motherfucker catches on fire. We're all good. Oh, yep, right. yep. It's gravy, baby. <laughs> so listen. I, just, I, I couldn't help but point that out. Uh, say, uh, God, just a, it's a real shit show out there, and I, I wish that you know what would just, you know what that, you yeah. know what that's caused by Ryan. What's that? People not actually thinking through the actual consequences of their mandates. Well, you know, that's what not I'm saying. actually I think thinking through. It comes down Nobody to this. thinks it through. falling in love with the solution. That is what mm-hmm. leads to that end, right? People falling in love with mm-hmm. their solution, that this is the best way, I know the best way. And the thing is mm-hmm. that, you know, legislation, especially in government, is about compromise. It's about understanding all the viewpoints and taking that all in. Now, certainly, at some point, you got to make a decision, and you're not going to make everybody happy. But the whole point, though, is that for it to be a deliberative process and not just a score of ones and zeros. We win, we lose, and that's it, right? This zero-sum game bullshit that ultimately just stacks shit higher and higher and higher until guess who it fucking yeah. falls on? Us. It doesn't fall yeah, on them. Fall- it doesn't fall on anybody else. And I'm not sitting here trying to be anti-government. I'm just trying to say that the way that government works now and has worked for the last 20 years, and especially in places like California and others, right? It's not a left-wing, right-wing thing. It's all the way across the board is completely fucked up and it's not helping out the right people so with that let's move on to where people are getting fucked even more this time by mother nature because you know what ray unless she mother nature's got a strap on bigger than any government will ever have she ain't afraid of you <laughs> so Mm-mm. all right uh, she does the helicopter about here. with that thing she you better believe it. She's taking off. What do you think we get? A, what do you think? F, uh, what do you think? Uh, F five tornadoes and uh, category five hurricanes are made out of. That's Mother Nature whipping it around. I just there, thought it, right? I thought it was Telly getting fired up. Uh, <laughs> everything, everything she knows. All right. So weed pressure tsunami set to compound problems in years ahead. Agronomists say. Uh, Frenchman Valley Co-ops uh, Ben Souter, VP of Agronomy, has shown. Standing in a soybean field infested with Palmer amaranth, uh, we're going to have a really uh, have really hard work the next several years to get these weeds back under control because we've lost 20 years of weed control in just this one past year. Weather conditions in western, western Nebraska and other parts of the plains have brought a tsunami of weed pressure to crop producers there, agronomists say. And they add it's something that could get worse in the years to come given the prolific nature of resistant weeds such as Palmer amaranth. We've been fighting... Palmer amaranth for a long time. It's been adapting faster than our ability to control it, says Ben Souter, as he walks through the dry land corner of a soybean under a center pivot near Imperial, Nebraska. So it, what they're talking about here is that this uh, this uh, seed here, without competition, could put out 1.3 million seeds right per plant, uh, and in competition with the crop, 
it's it's just not happening. The herbicide control these weeds. Um, it's probably this guy from Syngenta is talking about. It's the worst he's seen in 25 years, and they're talking just about how difficult this is. So, um, you know what they're hoping that they can do right is, um, you know, work on some things with fall herbicide applications this year, um, and and maybe potentially from a management perspective, not just use herbicides but other ways of controlling. But gentlemen, you know, do you, you know, what are besides Japanese knotweed in the city of Portland? Um, are there any other weeds, right, that we're really concerned about that could, um, could become, you know, so difficult to control, right, that we don't have the means? And unless you can speak from cool season territory, I know it's completely different for Ray, right? He, um, Ray's, Ray's yeah, bounced, I think. That's fine, no, I know. I, and that's I'm back. Oh, oh, there he is. He's back. He's back. Sheila wanted to rub him during the burns, you know, get that icy hat out. <laughs> She did her shack voice too to pretend that she was doing one of the commercials. It was really, really erotic. But anyway, um, so, <laughs> gentlemen, from the weed side of things, you know, we see this in agriculture more and more. What are some of the weeds that you see moving across the country or into your area, right, that are becoming troublesome? I can tell you one here in Ohio is Dallas grass, something that we haven't really faced a whole lot of um, in the past, but it is now becoming a thing and um, a very frequent thing, too. So, what about y'all? I, I, I'm terrified of Dallas grass showing up just from listening to everyone that's, uh, you know, in the transition <laughs> zone and south uh, having to deal with it. Uh, I do not want that to show up at all. Uh, you know, goose grass, again, is another honorary one that, that we get a little bit of. We're, we're lucky I don't get too, too much, but I know it's kind of a pain to, to get cured, cured out and... Um, we're fortunate that we don't have a huge variety of things that are difficult to control uh, without, you know, I mean, we, I guess we could attack some things with a little bit of glyphosate and spot treat if we needed to, uh, and then seed later. But I, I don't know. I find us pretty fortunate. I always thought it was tough until I started talking to people across the country and real, really learned uh, yeah, it's a little bit harder the further south you go. Ah, man. I mean, you know, Lushy, I always say that I will enjoy being far away from the tropics because I see weeds that are extremely difficult to control and they wouldn't be difficult to control. If we had, I suppose, more rational leadership, because, like, the start of our weed nightmares began when, back in the 1980s, there was an executive decision that basically tilted all of our weed control strategy here in Hawaii towards using glyphosate to the preference of other herbicides. So do you know what the unintended consequence of doing that was? After years of using glyphosate. Yup. And not only resistance within weed species, but can you imagine weed populations in an area shifting to species that are inherently less susceptible to glyphosate? 
because I, I've seen many cases where somebody makes a glyphosate application and certain things die, but then it is largely mostly still green because that area is otherwise dominated by glyphosate non-susceptible vegetation. So, you know, I'm thinking about all of this in the context of how there's a move afoot to ban or get rid of or reduce the use of certain legacy chemistries. I'm aware of that. However, I consider those legacy chemistries as very important for managing weeds because they're an alternate mode of action. And Ryan Deme is smiling or he has his silently judging face on right now because he knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> there. No, you got to make that uh, face. When, when you've had cough syrup, prednisone, and antibiotics. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty... It, th do we have that picture to throw up so people know <laughs> what we're talking about? I'm just like, thinking I'm weird. Anyway, uh, yeah. It, it, it's only going to become a bigger issue, I think, right? And I hope that we're not in a scenario that uh, leads us down this path of you know, weeds outpacing what we and certainly we've got the advantage that if it gets really bad, hey, we just you know kill everything off, we start over. <laughs> <laughs> now nah, you gotta get that bottom lip all a little frumpier. Yeah, you know, you, you know, I, I can't read. You gotta, it. I don't know. That was no. You got you, right you gotta have you gotta have the prednisone and cough syrup high. I, I mean that in order to make that not going to say which episode that's from but uh you know go back and figure it out for yourself if you want to keep score at home okay all right gentlemen it is now time for us to move into well one of our favorite favorite er did i really just say that favorite parts of the favorite -er. not favoritist the favorite Well, would you looky here, Manitoba reverses ban on cosmetic use of pesticides. Motherfucker. All right. In 2014, Manitoba introduced legislation to ban the cosmetic use of pesticides on lawns, parks, and other public spaces. Eight years later, Manitoba has partially reversed that ban. On November 4th, the <laughs> province announced that it had passed legislation giving Manitobans more choice around the use of herbicides, insecticides, and fungicides. Individuals are now permitted to use pesticides on their lawn, and municipalities can use them on places like boulevards, sidewalks, right-of-ways, and fairgrounds. But the pesticides will not be permitted in, quote-unquote, sensitive areas, says Jeff Wharton, Environmental and Climate Parks Minister. By expanding the list of sensitive areas, our government continues to protect children and pets while keeping communities safe and minimizing environmental impact. These areas protected include schools, hospitals, child care centers, provincial parks, designated municipal picnic areas, playgrounds, and dog parks. Manitoba's progressive conservative government has committed to altering the pesticide ban introduced uh, by the previous government in 2014. So, you know, they, they talk about, uh, you know, the, uh, the the impetus for right this. So 
you know, this is 2014. The previous government said Manitoba families want their children to be safe everywhere they play. This new legislation will ensure that it does not matter where they are, at school, home, or at a daycare, they will be able to play on the grass. It's free from potentially harmful chemical pesticides. This is from Gord McIntosh, uh, Manitoba's conservation manager back in 2014 when this was enacted. So, you know, the whole Screw them if they're going to walk down the sidewalk. Well, yeah. Uh, so a lot of this is uh, people, municipalities are also unhappy with the ban. It increased the cost of controlling weeds and other pests. Organic weed killers must be applied multiple times to control weeds, making them more expensive than conventional herbicides. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Common sense has prevailed. And again, I'm sure that people will try to turn this into a left versus right or some type of ideological thing. I think what prevailed here, gentlemen, is common fucking sense. So mm-hmm. all that being said, uh, you know, good for Manitoba, uh, you know, Matt would have made fun of this because, you know, it really is Canada. Uh, he would say, Manitoba, <laughs> what state is that in? No, Matt, that's in Canada, like real Canada. Like, not like where it he is in Canada. Minnesota, which is not it's Canada. Actual... This is Canada for real. However, uh, there are certain provinces of Canada that have taken the pesticide ban thing you know all the way and then there's other provinces where they still have a certain amount of common sense but my uh, favorite part my favorite part in the whole article was this was uh you know they are allowing it now on fairground so i thought you know uh, if you don't know this by the way this is a quick aside uh part of being a patron as we record this show live you have the opportunity to go on the Discord and live as this whole thing's going on, and then certainly right after, uh, people, the uh, you know the folks that are watching, a couple dozen, maybe uh, anywhere from twenty-five to fifty uh, in a given show, will watch us live do this. They get to come up with our show titles, so they will be throwing around show titles. So I'm going to go ahead and do one live here in the show just to show you how this works out. And the thing that caught my eye in the article here, gentlemen, was they they uh, allowed fairgrounds to be one of the uh, sites that you're not allowed to use pesticides. So I thought of show title, Hey Kids, Let's Go Down to the Fairgrounds for th- for the fe- Pesticide Festival. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun. And, Sounds fun. And, and, you know, and you know what? Uh, Let's walk on the sidewalks on our way down. Please. Yeah. No, my, my question is, no... What happened to personal responsibility? Or what happened to responsibility as parents? Because let me ask you guys this, as as parents, would you let your kids walk on top of grass that was just sprayed? No. No, okay? Because here is where this cockamamie anti-pesticide legislation comes from. It comes from these woke parents who think that they should let their kids run all the fuck over the place whenever and wherever they want, whereas for me, it was, hey, there's insecticide on the grass. Stay off of it. You know? It was just as simple as that. But what happened to that? A loss of common sense. It then became the well, job of government to prohibit everything 
so that you know parents are free from having any kind of responsibility. You know, the safety of their children becomes someone else's problem. You know what? You're the fucking parent. Watch your fucking children. Yeah, I I won't disagree with that. I will say this, though. I think that who got them into that state of mind that it's bad, right? There Mm -hmm. are groups out there, and, and I'll say this, too, and I keep going back to the both sides thing, and it's true. There are people in our industry that, uh, have this mindset that, hey, you're going to come take it from our cold, dead hands and we'll spray whatever the fuck we want. You have mm-hmm. people like us that will say, hey, listen, like, there's a reason that we don't use some stuff anymore, right? Like, there is a, <laughs> a, a legitimate reason that <laughs> yeah. we stopped using this or that or this, or even stuff that's still labeled, you know, and, and available to use that we're like, yeah, you know what? You might want not to do that, right? So, I don't want to do part. that one. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the other part of it is this is that, there is somebody out there, there are groups out there that are getting these people scared on purpose, mm-hmm. scared on mm-hmm. purpose and not being truthful with them in the way that they go about doing it. And that's the part that's really fucked up. And then to take that even a step further, I think you have maybe politicians that are getting scared, right, and doing the same things mm-hmm. through a policy or mm-hmm. regulatory or legislative process. But you also have these folks that are the real shitbags and the scum of the earth motherfuckers that take advantage of that fear and say, oh, hey, if you vote for me, I'll fix that for you. If you support yeah, me in my agenda, I'll fix that for you. Well, you know what? I mean, it's always, what ha- it's always happened. It's, it's part of politics anywhere, well, especially like, in America. It's, I know. it's fucked up. However, you know, what happened to the elected official who said, you know what? You are personally responsible. This is part of cost of living in a free country taking responsibility for yourself and your family you know keep your kids out of danger because i still remember where my own father would tell me if i got myself into a dangerous situation uh he wouldn't look to blame other people no i'm the one that would be in trouble with him, it would not be a matter of him looking for somebody else to blame. And, and I and I, I I agree with Ray's I point see. too, though on uh, on the the people parents not taking responsibility. I can't tell you how many times when I was at the wreck, uh, mm-hmm. in spray, spraying a field, spreading dialogues, and oh my you know, God. Or, or, or fertilizer, and mm-hmm. we would have all the all the signs out every fifty feet, whatever you know, mm-hmm. going around the whole facility. And that I'd watch that parent get that, let that little two year old get out of the car and just run right across the field. As you can see, you can see this tractor just, you know, you, you're watching, you're watching a spray. Or I'd had a lady walk right up and ask, you know, oh, are you watering the grass? I'm like, not, oh, not with this kid's spray now, no, ma'am. We're, we're killing weeds. Oh. Oh, Washing. should I not be on here? I'm like, <laughs> so yeah, I, they just they don't pay attention. They're they're too busy stuck in this, you know, facing the phone, not watching the kid. Oh, here, run free, not looking around at the surroundings to see what's going on. Man, Lushy, I mean that's uh, that's like my big fear as well. But then, you know, 
what enabled that are elected officials that they promise those people that they can make it so that they are no longer personally responsible for their own safety. Personal safety becomes the government's problem. Uh-huh. You see, in some ways, uh, how shall I say it? Uh, my father made me, I guess, the exact opposite of your modern-day progressive. <laughs> I mean, I'm a throwback to the uh, 17th century almost. <laughs> Time's up. It's over. Ray of Perfect Oahu. timing. Speaking, speaking <laughs> of another problem for government, uh, leave you with our final return here. This comes to us out of uh, beautiful Rochdale, Indiana. Uh, a Rochdale officer may have wished he had a Pokeball in order to help him catch a wild Pikachu spotted driving a lawnmower recklessly through a small town on Indiana streets on Halloween night. And what the oh, Rochdale Police Department assured was a first... <laughs> An officer found himself in pursuit of a 19-year-old Rochdale citizen who decided to elect trick instead of treat and gave the officer and all pursuits a witness uh, to that night to remember. Uh, officers are made aware of a man driving recklessly on a modified lawnmower through the streets uh, with a trailer in tow while children were prowling the streets in their own pursuit of candy. Uh, so as the deputy approached, he realized that this person was dressed as Pikachu, and as he attempted to pull the man over, uh, Pikachu gave him the devil bird, sped away uh, as best he could. The pursuit went on for a few blocks before the deputy broke chase, and uh, due to the lawnmower becoming more erratic and dangerous, they were able to dust- identify the suspect between the Pikachu guard, however, later arrived at his home where, after a brief scuffle, quote-unquote, to off-do the man, no longer in his uh, costume, and take him into custody. Uh, please say the 19-year-old Rochdale citizen faces two counts of resisting uh, law enforcement. So, gentlemen, all I can say is uh, this guy did get the piece of candy that had the molly in it, and, well, it was early in the <laughs> night, so why not jump on the fucking... Why not jump on the lunch? <laughs> so, good for him. Good for him. And, hey, I mean, listen. How modified guy, was that lawn tractor that they couldn't put down? Who knows, but you know what? It's going to be a great thing for this kid because now and for the rest of the time, what a great icebreaker. Uh, I noticed you in your job application. You said that you uh, have been convicted of a felony before. Yeah, that's right, ma'am. Uh, can you tell us the uh, circumstances surrounding that? Well, actually, boom, right into it. You know, so, uh, nope. I mean. It was a dark, stormy night on Halloween of 2022 when Pikachu was on the loose. Nope. I mean, uh, <laughs> we're. <laughs> It was all out of drugs, and it was time to go for a drive. <laughs> nice night that night. Oh, man. So anyway, hey, uh, Pikachu, man, uh, we're not going to post your bond, but we will make fun of you on YouTube, and thanks for the hits, and we appreciate it, sir. All right, with that, uh, we've got one in the mailbag, JP. Is that right? mail. God damn right we do. And this comes to us from uh, our good friend who we've never, ever met before or heard from named the Big Sexin Texan. He writes. I think he. Uh, I have been following you guys for years. I work when y'all do the live shows, but I hear you take questioning by email. My question is, I live in the northern transition zone on the east coast. I have a cool season mutt lawn 
uh, consisting of turf type tall fescue, Kentucky bluegrass, perennial ryegrass, poet annual, poet triv, and probably even some fine fescues. I'd like to kill it and plant Tahoma 31. What would you recommend to kill the cool season lawn? Glyphosate, katana, monument, or something else? All right. Wow. So big sex and Texan. Coming to us from the East Coast. It's a very deceiving name, by the way. Uh, I'm not sure that we could rhyme anything phallic or uh, sexual in nature with, you know, like Maryland or Delaware. <laughs> just doesn't work. So, uh, Big Dick in Delaware? I don't know. Big Dick in Delaware. We'll call it that. We'll start there. Um, so, what would you use to kill it? I mean, glyphosate's fine. I think you start off um, you know, yeah, early in the spring. Is the easy. Yeah, early. Yeah, early spring. Make sure it's dead, and then because your time to establish Tahoma Thirty One would normally be right in late spring, headed into early summer, as long as you have the water to guarantee establishment. Yep, that's the key right there, uh, and that's that's going to be one. But Ray, any you you know talk about the herbicide use after it goes down. So I don't know if this will be sod or seed. Uh, our boy Big Sexton didn't really uh, elaborate too much. Tahoma 31. Big... He did mention Tahoma yep. 31. So yep. that would be sod or sprigs. And here's the good thing is approximately, I want to say 21 to 30 days after a lawn is sodded or sprigged with Bermuda, if necessary, Ryan, it can be monument time mm-hmm. to wipe out, you know, nutsedge, uh, volunteer cool season grasses, certain broadleaves. You can do that as soon as 21 to 30 days after initial establishment of your vegetatively propagated turf grass. I mean, big mistake would be made for him to wait too long before imposing weed control on his brand new planting of hybrid Bermuda because I've not seen that end well because you actually need to get a jump on your weeds as soon as the grass can tolerate it or else it turns into a mess. And and that's kind of why, Ryan, in extreme cases, I advocate for that four-way herbicide mix to rapidly clean up you know, post-establishment. I mean, you know that mix. <laughs> oh, I do, and it works. There's no <laughs> question about it. So, uh, so yeah, if, if you found that helpful, Big Sexton, um, hopefully you did. Ray, would you add, not... add some uh, ammonium sulfate in that glyphosate to no. try to help move it Actually, along? I'd add glyphosate and ammonium sulfate together, but then in the case of a cool-season grass, you know, cool season grasses as a whole are extremely susceptible to glyphosate. You don't need very much augmentation. The only exception to that would be if this fella told me that he had bent grass contamination. Then I'd think a little differently. But then if it's just uh, your average northern mix uh, grass and he wants to convert over to Bermuda, a little bit of glyphosate will make it go bye-bye very quickly you know cool season grass is easy to get rid of when you don't want it it's comparatively easy in my experience i mean 
because I, I go through nightmares, on the other hand, getting rid of things like Zoysia or Bermuda where they're no longer wanted. <laughs> That's a different story. <laughs> Not fun. I, I think this would be a very no. easy transition, and I think that uh, yeah, the weed control on the front end super easy. The back end, as Ray said, that's where you got to have a little bit of uh, a deft cut yes. to make sure that you don't screw anything mm-hmm. up and, and leave yourself with a whole bunch of weeds to deal with as your summer's waning and the grass is trying to start to, to slow down for the year. So keep that in mind and uh, and be ready for it. So, gentlemen, with that, Lushy, thank you for being here. Ray, as always, uh, it was fun, and uh, we'll see you all on the next one.